And Rose came to his father. He was still a great way off. The father saw him, ran to him, had compassion on him, ran and fell on his neck, kissed him. The son starts reciting his speech, Father, I've sinned against heaven, and in your sight I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it. Let us eat, let us be merry. The son who is dead is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. In this series, we've looked at the ultimate homecoming, heaven. We've looked at home, how God sees me. We've looked at the call to come home. And today we're looking at the way home. I want to say a prayer. Father, thank you so much for your word. I pray that you would bless this time together. Speak to our hearts. Challenge us today. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Everyone say amen. And you may be seated. In 1971, Pete Hamill wrote a series of fictional columns that were published in the New York Post. He entitled them, The Eight Million. And one of those columns was about some young adults from New York heading to Fort Lauderdale on a bus. These young adults were giddy, dreaming of white sands and blue-green waters. On the bus was an ashen-faced, somber man, hard-living, masked his age. He was wearing a shabby, chocolate-brown suit. And his name was Vingo. On the long road trip, the kids finally coaxed Vingo to share some of his story. He had been in prison for the past four years and was finally heading home. And his home was Brunswick, just north of Jacksonville, Florida. He confessed to the kids that he had written a letter to his wife, whom he loved dearly. She was the mother of his three young children. And he told her, quote, I'm coming home, I'm taking the bus, I don't know if you've moved on or if you're waiting for me. If you have moved on, I will understand, but if there's any chance that you still want me, then tie a yellow handkerchief on the old oak tree at the edge of Brunswick. If I see it, I'll get off the bus, but if not, I'll understand and I'll keep going. Well, he shared this with the other people on the bus. Word spread throughout the bus as they approached Brunswick. Everyone gathered by the windows on the left side of the bus. Everyone except Vingo. He stared straight ahead, numb, tense, nervous. The sign started reading 10 miles to Brunswick, 5 miles to Brunswick, 1 mile to Brunswick. And then the whole bus started cheering and yelling and crying because at the edge of Brunswick, stood an old oak tree, and there were hundreds of yellow handkerchiefs tied all over that tree. The story became a movie, you probably didn't know that, starring James Earl Jones, and of course, there was a song. You probably are familiar with that, at least some of you who are my age and older. A song. It was written by Erwin Levine and L. Russell Brown, performed by the one and only... Tony Orlando and Dawn, right? Tony Orlando and Dawn. It became the top-selling single of 1973 in both the U.S. and U.K., and in 2008, Billboard ranked it as the 37th biggest song of all time. This short story, this movie, this song, they were successful because they tugged on our heartstrings. 
this story of forlorn love, hoping, wishing, mistakes made, and a longing to come home. We tie yellow ribbons around trees and mailboxes and front porches to let loved ones know they're still welcome home. Maybe they were overseas serving. Maybe there was just a problem, and in the heat of the moment, somebody left. Maybe someone was incarcerated. No one knows. Am I welcome home? And and so we tie yellow ribbons around things to let people know you are still loved, you are still wanted, and we welcome you home. Now, in our reading, in our reading, We heard a story Jesus told, but it's a story that was told in response to a question that was asked in the beginning of Luke chapter 15. The uh, the first two verses of the chapter say this, Then all the tax collectors, hey, that's appropriate, right? What's today? April 16th. All the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to hear him. That's Jesus. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Now, let's talk about this. Who was doing the complaining? Well, first of all, the Pharisees and scribes. The Pharisees were the religious elites of the day, and the scribes were the theologians, official commentators on the Holy Scriptures. The Pharisees and the scribes were spiritual heavyweights. They carried a lot of weight. And who were they complaining about? Well, the tax collectors and sinners. Let's start with the tax collectors. The Roman Empire was massive. I've got a picture of it. It stretched from England to India. They had no airplanes. They had no motorized vehicles, no tanks, no satellites. And so it could take you a year to get from one side of the empire to the other. If there was a problem on one side, it might not get taken care of for quite a while. So they had to manage this vast empire, and the way they did that was with a massive military. The Roman soldiers, they were garrisoned all over the place. And the Roman military was notorious for its brutality and its savagery. They were just brutal. They were infamous Pardon my being graphic here, but they were infamous for raping, pillaging, and crucifying. 100 years before the story that we just read in Luke 15, a guy named Crassus, who was a Roman senator, Forbes magazine estimates that in today's values, he was worth $170 billion, this Roman senator. And he defeated Spartacus a slave who led a rebellion, and and in this victory parade route, Crassus lined the road into Rome with 6,000 crucified slaves, 6,000 of them. On another occasion, Rome crucified 20,000 at a time. Absolute brutality. And not only that, during the history of the Roman Republic and the empire, They were responsible for slaughtering millions, millions of Jews, ethnic descendants of Abraham. And how was this army funded? With taxes. 
collected by tax collectors. And in Palestine, it was amazing the way they worked it. They hired Jewish people to become the tax collectors. They hired within that community. And so you would have what would be considered Benedict Arnold's traitors, those who were not faithful to Jehovah. They would bid on territories and they would get these responsibilities for collecting taxes and they had legal privileges and and they were giving a lot of latitude and so they could extort and extract large sums of money out of people and they became fabulously wealthy. You can just hear a Jewish father telling his son, hey, uh, let me tell you, all this pain, son, that we've experienced from the Roman Empire, from the emperors, it's been bought and paid for with mine and your mama's taxes. And you know who collected those taxes, son? Your mama's brother, Uncle Malachi over there, right? Uncle Malachi collected the taxes. Sorry, low-down scoundrel. Disgrace to the family. Disgrace to our God. Disgrace to Abraham. Can you believe it? And so the Pharisees and the scribes could not believe that this rabbi, Jesus of Nazareth, allowed these traitors to come to his church and to hear the word. But it wasn't just tax collectors. The ones they called sinners showed up also. Now, we use that word like, well, you know, sinner folk and sinners. and We're a little more generous with it. They were specific. It identified a people group. They had, you know, a people group. So like on your little boxes that you're checking off on your taxes, you know, like what's your race or ethnicity? They would have a box that would say sinner. And a sinner was somebody who was born with a deformity or a disability. Remember the argument where the guy said, the question was, about a blind man. Who sinned? This man or his family, his mom and dad? He was a sinner because of his blindness. So you had people that had just had problems that were thrown into the sinner camp, and then you had identified sinners, just people that were easy to call out, you know, like the drunk, the hooker, uh, the cheat, the, the thief. Uh, it was easy to call them out. So Jesus, they could not wrap their mind around this, the Pharisees and scribes, because when tax collectors and sinners came to hear Jesus preach, when they came to Jesus' church, Jesus didn't shoo them away. Any other self-respecting rabbi would have made them leave because they kind of ruined church. But Jesus let them stay. Not only that, Jesus took them out to eat after church. And you thought the Baptists invented that, right? We like to beat the Baptists to the golden corral. That's what I always say. But Jesus, Jesus would take them out to eat, eat with them, break bread with them. The religious elites and theologians couldn't wrap their minds. It was scandalous. And when they complained about his congregation, he gives three stories. Lost sheep, lost coin, lost son. At the end of the lost sheep story, when the sheep is found, He says in verse 7, I say to you, likewise, there's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. The woman who lost the coin, when she found it, she threw a party and celebrated. And Jesus says in verse 10, likewise, I say to you, there's joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner 
who repents. And then in our reading, a young man gets up in his father's face, demands his inheritance. I want my stuff. The man settles with his son. The father, in order to pay the boy his percentage, would have to liquidate, perhaps, some of his estate if he didn't have the cash, which would have diminished his influence in the community, his standing, not to mention the humiliation of raising a rebellious, hard-hearted son. The boy was saying, I don't care about you, father. I, I don't want a relationship with you, dad. I just want the stuff that I'm going to get from you when you die. I wish you were dead. I want my stuff. Let's go ahead and pretend that you are. Give me the stuff. The law of Moses said this man had the right to kill this boy, if you want to get technical. But the father didn't do that. He pays the son his share. Everybody say he paid. He paid the son his share. And the son traipsed off to this distant country, went wild, went to the club. He's bellies up to the bar, spends his money on women and, and the casino and wasting every dime, every single shekel. Goes flat broke, and that's when it happened, this famine. And he's starving to death, and he gets a job with a local, and that job has to do with feeding pigs. He's a Jew. Jews don't hang around pigs. This guy begins to live with the pigs. Have you ever been around pigs? You ever been around a pig farm? When I was a kid, I spent some time around Vidrine and Vilplat and Mamu. And I met a lovely couple named Mimi and Tikal. And Tikal wore overalls, shrimper boots, and no shirt. And Mimi wore a big old moo-moo, right? And they had pigs. And I grew up as a city slicker, right? A tenderfoot, like I didn't know anything about. I'm a musician. I'm not a farmer, but they wanted to teach me. And they're like, Donovan, we want you to slop the hogs. What do you mean, T-Cow, Mr. T-Cow, slop the hogs? Well, we're going to go make some slop, and then I'm going <laughs> to let you slop the hogs. I didn't know what slop was. Well, slop is the ruined food, old food, sour milk, it's, it's all the leftovers nobody else wants to eat. It's, it's the trash food, and it's some corn mixed in. It's some oats mixed in. It's some water. It's vegetables. It's whatever you got left. It's all the junk. All, it's horrible. Now, if you got a weak stomach, you, you don't want to look at this, but I want to show you what it's like to slop the hogs. Show that video. And you know, it's funny when those pigs start fighting over it, right? This is like treasure to them. So they fight over it and they squeak and squeal and bite each other. And not only is the prodigal so hungry, hungry, he's so hungry that he starts eating the slop. He starts eating the slop. He gets down in the trough with the pigs and he's just... Slap, ah, this is mine. I'm taking a slop. He's eating. 
the pig slop. Are you kidding me? He's hungry and he's eating pig food. It's amazing. It's amazing how situations will come and bring us to our knees. Thank God for those situations. They may have been tough. They may have been difficult to get through. But if it turned my face towards the Father's house, thank you, Jesus. Had it not been for that trouble, I don't know if I'd ever turn back. He went broke, famine. He's in a pigsty, and he's eating pig slop. And he starts realizing, he starts thinking back on the Father's house. Even the hired hands around Dad's house ate better than this. The contractors, the subcontractors, they ate decent meals. Unlike this cat I'm working for, won't even feed me. I'm eating his pig's food. So the boy decided to make the long journey back home where he tried, he wanted to try to get on as a laborer with one of the contractors in his father's house. He knew he was unworthy to come back as a son. I've blown that chance. No way. That ain't going to happen. I've disrespected my father. I've disgraced the family name, the reputation. I've wasted this inheritance and years of my life. So he reasons, I cannot go back as a son, but I'll go back as a worker and earn my keep. Maybe I can pay dad back in time. But my father is so good. I've come to realize he's so good. That at least on that estate. Even if I'm a slave. Even if I'm just a contractor. I'll eat better than I'm eating out here. Where I find myself now. He reasoned this all out because he was so hungry. And he knew there was bread in his father's house. So he hit the road smelling like pigs, pig slop breath, and he's trying to make his way back. Let me give you some application today. There may be somebody in this house. This is Easter. Let's go ahead and deal with it. There may be somebody in this house today, and you thought if I walk in the doors, the roof may cave in on me. You don't have to raise your hand, but if you've ever been there, just give me a good, I've already picked on the bad, just give me a Presbyterian nod, right? You've been there, you thought maybe, maybe the roof would fall in because you ain't been around so long. It's been so long since you've been around. Well, for whatever reason, there are those that walk away. I've walked away back in my past and uh, the father's house. For whatever reason, something got in my craw and I, I got a better idea, I thought. Maybe there's somebody here today you've wandered so far and, and the system uh, in that faraway place has taken more from you than it's ever given. And it's left you hungry, exhausted, ashamed. And you've lived on things that you don't even want to talk about. And on the inside, you just know I've been in a pigsty. And you've been thinking, considering. And I'm going to be straight up with you here. I've talked to some of you. I know some of your stories. But you think, you know, there were you left church maybe because there were idiots in the church. Hypocrites. Boneheads. Deal weeds. And you left church. I don't want to be around them. I'm smarter than they are. I know more than they are than, than they do. I'm I can do this. They're ignorant. 
That's what we used to say in my family. Ignorant. They're just ignorant. And you left and you walked away. But you get to a place in your life and you start realizing even the idiots in my father's house have it better than I do. Who's the real idiot here? It's an epiphany. It's a humbling awakening. And in the pigsty, when he, he didn't even, you know, he had hocked everything. He left the house with a ring and with a robe and with shoes and a full belly and shekels. But in the pigsty with nothing, he starts saying, even the idiots back in dad's house got it better than I do. I think I may have made a mistake. I wonder if maybe I could just hang around, maybe come back just around the edges. Maybe I could get on as a, a hired worker and, and, and maybe I could catch some of the spillover. And so the boy starts this long journey back. Are you with me? He starts this long journey back and he's moving towards the father's house and the father sees him a long ways away. That means that that father's watching and he sees him way out there and the dad runs. He runs. The father was watching because he knew the son would be back. He knew it was out there and he said, as soon as I see him, I'm going I'm to run to him because I know he's going to be weak and malnourished and hurting and suffering and questioning, and I'm going to get to him before he collapses. I want to get to him as soon as I can and minister to him and help him out. In those days, the patriarch didn't run. Women and children ran, but the patriarch, it was below his dignity to run. But this father, this father humbles himself and sees the son who smells like a pigsty, and he starts hoofing it and running to this rebellious, repentant boy. And the reason why is because he loved him in spite of his rebellion, in spite of his stinkiness. He loved the boy. Hallelujah. And he started yelling out instructions to his servants. He said, listen, guys, somebody quickly, as he's running, somebody go out there. Somebody go get a robe. Somebody go get it. He lost his robe, right? He's in rags. Somebody go get him one of my robes. It says bring him the best robe and, and go get him. Go get him some sandals. Go get, these, these are mine, right? They're from the gap, right? I'm just, uh, this is not royal right here. I'm sure they were much better. He said go get, go get the sandals for him because I want to put some shoes on his feet. And he said get the family ring, the signet. Get that signet ring that, that represents the family and authority and he can go to the store and buy stuff. It, it's, it's a representative of being in the family. Go get that ring and put it on his finger because I want to take care of him. The father says, bring him the best robe. I, I, I want him to uh, have the ring. I want to have the sandals on his feet because I've been waiting for this moment from the day he left. I've been waiting on this. I was so heartbroken when he left, but I knew he would come back. And I've got that robe prepared, and I've got those sandals waiting on him, and I've got his ring. See, the boy took all that stuff, but the father had replaced it and was waiting the day he comes back. Betty, the day he comes back, I've got him all hooked up. I'm going to put it all on him. I'm going to restore my son. That was because it says he had compassion 
for the Son. I want you to know, I don't know what you thought about God, but I want to tell you something about God. He is full of compassion. He is full of mercy. He is full of the hope for the best in your life. And no matter how far you've gone, no matter how far you've walked away, no matter how many times you've blown it, I want to tell you there is a father that has your best interest at heart, has been preparing for this moment, and is running to you the moment you turn towards him. Give him some praise. Can you do it? And he said, at the end of his statement, he said, and kill the fatted calf. Kill the fatted calf. The fatted calf. It's a definite article in front of it. Kill the fatted calf. I've been waiting on this, and I've been preparing for this. Now, they would eat some of this, but this is also representative of a sacrifice. The boy was walking slowly. Rehearsing his speech. I've sinned against you, Father. I'm not worthy. I just don't understand. I just, what happened to me? I just lost my way. Like, could you hire me maybe as a worker, or maybe with one of the subcons? He's, he's mumbling. He's walking slowly, trying to figure out the way he can get back in the Father's house. But the Father has been preparing for this moment. And that sacrifice will cover every sin that boy ever committed. So the father, knowing he's got it covered, runs. The boy's walking. I don't know how this is going to work out. The father runs. Son, I got it covered. I got it. I got a sacrifice. Get the fatted calf. Because we're going to get all that taken care of, son. And I'm going to pull you back up here to my side as one of my sons, I'm going to restore you. I want you to know, many of us, when we walked away, we tried to figure out how can I get it covered. When we came to ourselves, we're like, oh, my God, what have I done? I've lost my way. I don't know if I can ever get back. I don't see how this is possible. You don't know how far I've gone. I've, had, I've sat in counseling sessions with people for years, and they're like, you just don't understand what I've done. And I'm like, well, first, I'm not anxious to hear uh, all about it, right? I'm just telling you that. But on the other hand, I'm like, I probably have heard it, and I just want you to know he's full of compassion, and there's a sacrifice that's already been made. Jesus died on the cross. Jesus paid it all, and all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. Stand with me right now. The sacrifice has already been made. The boy was moping. The father was running The boy was thinking, I'll work off my sin. The father was saying, the work's already done. You're going to try to work it off? I've already graced your sin away. So here's what he's saying. Tax collectors. That's where we are. Tax collectors. Sinners. Rebels. Traitors. Liars. Cheats. Hookers. Addicts. You can come to my church. If you'll just turn your heart towards the Father and hear the word, I'm telling you the work's already been done. And that blood is sufficient. What can wash away my sins? Not volunteering in a church, that's for sure. Not being on a parking crew, not being on an usher crew, 
not being a pastor, not being a musician, not going to wash anything away. What can wash away my sins? Not being a better husband, not being a better wife, not being a better kid. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood. But, oh, the blood can wash away every sin, every single one of them. No matter how far you've gone, the Father runs to him knowing, I've got it taken care of. There are people in this house today, you thought, maybe the roof would cave in on me. No, no, you're not that big cat. You've not gone that far. i got a heavenly Father. His eyes are scanning this congregation today. It's Easter. Guys, I know it's Easter. It's always weird at Easter. Do I pray? Do I not pray? Do we have altar call? Do we not have altar call? Do we spend some time here? Do we, what do we do? I want to tell you something. We've been working and planning this for months and months. The Holy Spirit is reaching out to somebody to let you know there's bread in the Father's house. Anybody hungry? There's provision in the Father's house. There's forgiveness in the Father's house. There's a robe of righteousness that the Father has for you. There's some sandals he wants to put on your feet. You're tired and weary. He wants to put a ring of authority on you where you can pray for others in the name of Jesus and watch the Father reach out to them. He wants to bring a restoration. I'm telling you, he wants to restore some people. You've not gone too far. You've not lost too much. You've not given up so much that he can't give it back and more. He has He's running. They had to pull that robe up and tie it and run and bare their leg. And he's running, he's running, he's running. Just when you turn, the heavens rejoice. There's more rejoicing over one sinner that repents. If you'd bow your heads and close your eyes with me right now. Father, I thank you, Lord, that you've covered us and that we are welcome. There are yellow ribbons all over the Father's house, all over the Father's hedges, all over the Father's porch. There's yellow ribbons saying, yeah, you are welcome home. You are welcome home. Jesus, you were raised from the dead. We celebrate that. But we can be raised from the dead too. He said, my son who was dead is now alive. He just came back home. I restored him. I'm telling you, he can put fresh life into your walk. He can breathe fresh wind into your sails. You don't have to stay where you are. You can get up and go to the Father's house. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We're going to sing this song. Now, I just want to tell you the way home. You want to know what the way home is? Through the Father's love. Simply that. The Father's love. You're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. 